Hello, and welcome to Midnight Mon Pod, the Monster Apocalypse podcast after hours. My name's Garrett, and I'm your host on this trip into the miniatures game Monster Apocalypse. Tonight, I'm going to be joined by a new guest to the show. Dan, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, everybody. I'm Dan, uh, Diva Dan on the Discord. I've been uh, wargaming for, geez, probably like 20 years now, but just started picking up Mompok in the last uh, three to five months. Trying to, I guess you can call it, play competitively, but, you know, the cool thing about this game is I can play it, try to play competitively on TTS and also play it, you know, with house rules with my daughter who's four years old. So, yeah, this game's pretty awesome and uh, going to talk about some things that I've learned in the last four months of playing this game. Right on. So tonight's intended topic is things we would have liked to know when we first got into the game. Things where I wish someone had said to me when I first got into the game, hey, this piece of knowledge that you picked up several months in. Because recently we've had a whole bunch of people joining in to the Discord server, a whole bunch of new folks posting over on Facebook. 2021, Year of the Kaiju, seems amazing to me. Right, so with all these new folks, new faces coming on to the scene, we thought it might be useful to put out a bunch of information about, hey, when you're first getting into the game, look out for this, avoid this, maybe try doing this. Because we've all had that moment where we get into something and try it out for a while, and then it just doesn't quite work out the way we'd hoped. And we're like, man, I wish I'd realized earlier that doing things this way would make my life harder. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm here to make new players' lives easier, hopefully. All that said, Dan, you want to lead us in on the discussion here? Yeah, I'd love to. And um, also, I guess I'm a terrible self-promoter. I also have a blog and a YouTube channel, Decisive Operations. And um, I kind of touched a little bit on this, so I don't want to really repeat what I said there here, because I've had some more advanced thoughts in the last 30 days. Um, but just going over some of the basic things for uh, things as a new player coming in, because that was me in, gosh, what, October, I was a new player. Um, so it's absolutely true what they tell you, right? Like, you can play the monster you want to play if you're in love with a particular monster. And even I if you want to be competitive, you just find an A or an S tier monster to pair that monster up with, and you'll do a good job. Am I, am I off base there? Or you think that's no, that, good? that's exactly where I exist. The second thing that I still have trouble with is you read the rule book and you hear about how you generate the resource with the power dice. And at least my mind like thinks about units securing buildings. And you have to be more, as you get better, as you learn more, I wish I knew when I started playing, I shouldn't just spam a bunch of units, throw them in the midfield for no reason just to secure a building like what like that's a liability if you play a middle to average player who knows how to fling or to chain different things oh man that's a good one yeah uh midfield units are sources of power for your opponent is a uh, we we just went right in on the competitive edge here on that one nice yeah sorry about that that's i try to like i'm i think i'm a casual player i'm a casual dude but i just always try to play like a clean game right so i just kind of lean right into it but yeah you'll, even in a, a you know a casual game you'll kind of find that those are it's a way to get resources but it's also something you have to protect which is your units um 
and it seems intuitive when you say it out loud like that, but it took me almost a quarter, right? Three months, four months to figure that out, really. There's games where I still haven't figured that out. It's fine. <laughs> I, I've been playing this for over a year and a half now, and <laughs> there's times where I'm like, oh, hey, I learned that a year ago, didn't I? No, no, I didn't. Should have, didn't. Well, I really think, too, this game is the, you know, the pie in the sky of three-dimensional chess. Because you really have, so if I was coming in brand new, I think I got a really good shake at it, right? Because my first game, my intro game is with Boxy on Discord, actually. So that was that was a good way to go in. I feel bad for the three people in my local area who got in by playing me, because I'm sure I told them not good advice two, three months ago when I was just started playing. Um, but the unit, <laughs> the unit game, the monster game, and the building game are three different games that affect each other, but happen in different time and space at least that's how i internalize it and i guess the faster you can conceptualize that not saying you have to know every building or know every monster or know every unit but it's almost like a trap it's it's three different games in my mind that you play all at once to ultimately generate power for your monster to defeat another monster but you don't you can set conditions and make that happening make that happen without necessarily throwing your monster down the middle. And that's the part that I'm still kind of stuck on right now. That's an awesome take. Cause I'll be honest, that's not a version of that take on what is monster apocalypse that I've heard before. And I've been running a podcast about monster apocalypse for almost a year now. So that's awesome. And I think that piece right there is what really uh, makes me so dedicated to this new game I found after all my different years of wargaming. Because I came into it wanting to throw monsters in the buildings, still do it, still love it. But it's just, it, there, there's, there's definitely more layers to, um, to unravel. And uh, because it's like, I guess, the skin of the game is something I like, right? It's kaiju. It's not intimidating, right? It's not like some other games where you have a bunch of rules to learn or a 300-page rulebook to dive into. You like uh, you walk away from games going, ooh, there's different ways I could have done that. And that's some of the cool things I think that Discord brings, is you can have people spectate your games and then talk to you afterwards. And unlike any other game I've played, there is just so many different ways of attacking each of the different problems. That's one of my favorite things about playing this game online, honestly, is after finishing the game, hopping into the spectator chat and letting them just uh, unleash their criticisms like, if you're a new, newer player, they will, like, soft lob it. Like, yeah, here's a thing that we saw, you know, if you try to make this kind of thing happen. If you're somebody they've been playing with for two, three, six months, they will just tear you apart because they know you're okay with it because you're one of their friends at that point. Yes. Like, I don't want to claim that the spectators on... TTS are terrible people or anything to that nature, but if they know you, they're not going to hold back. And, and it's also, I guess, the thing you always have, always have to be cognizant about when dealing with other people on the internet is like in a game store, that same advice, you might not want to be defensive about it, but, you know, tone is lost, right? The, the hangouts, the beers or the burgers before and after is kind of lost when you're playing on discord. So I, there was actually a couple times where I got very candid feedback and I had to tell myself to, you know, 
pull up my big boy pants and have a conversation and don't be like defensive of your terrible play, own your terrible play and learn from it. Right. And um, I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome. That there's people in this community that are willing to sit there and watch you make some terrible mistakes and talk to you about it afterwards. Right. Now the trick to that is while you're playing the game, you're not part of the chit chat going on. So like, I know that when I'm spectating a game, I'm sitting there, I'm having a couple beers while chit-chatting about what's going on. And a a bit of that tone is that the rest of them are already in that camaraderie space and you have to reorient yourself into it. Yes, you come out of the ISO cube of that game, right? And then all of a sudden you're in this place where people just been chilling for an hour and a half watching you stumble trying to play this game we call Monster Apocalypse. And every time somebody will find, like, even if you play the sloppiest, worst game, they'll find something that, like, hey, I liked this play that you did. You could have stayed on that line instead of doing this. And then you can respond with the, I mean, I thought about that, but then I thought this might be a better idea. I was just wrong. Or, huh, I didn't see that. Now I know what to look for in the future. Yeah, definitely. Um, We've definitely gotten off the topic of this episode. (laughs) Yeah, sorry about that. I feel oh, like I, mean, I, it's, it's I fine. this in that direction. <laughs> organic episodes are organic. Yeah. Uh, so I guess to, to, to tie it back in, right, to, to try to turn the wheel on this ship, um, changing the angle on TTS, because I'm assuming we're talking with everyone on Discord, the majority of ways we're going to play for the next probably six plus months is on Discord. And um, I have good eyesight. I feel like I can see things in real life. Man, sometimes on TTS, I do not see the squares as clearly as I do when I play on my kitchen table in real life. Um, so as a new player, before you're going to commit to that play, before you're going to you know, go spend too much time to think tank, just what is it? Right click and just spin that around a little bit. Just make sure you're seeing things. Because there's so many times I put my monster in a quote unquote safe place and I miscounted the, the steps and I miss that there's an open square to get thrown into a double. Or something silly. So On a regular basis, at least once per tournament, I'll have a positioning error on one of the maps where because I didn't uh, pan my camera, turn it around like that extra 15 degrees, I'm like, oh wait, I thought I was lined up, but I'm not lined up. Oh, I need to recount this. Oh wait, it's not my turn anymore. That's <laughs> just a mistake. Oh, wait, my monster just lost eight health. Oh, boy. <laughs> you. Out of the ten. It's a bad time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so we went in on the uh, high end of the TTS play with the Discord server here, which is awesome. If you're coming into this game right now, it's honestly probably one of the best ways to be getting games in right now. It With the world... In the state it's in, vaccine rollouts are on their way, but right now it's February. I know I'm not eligible for the vaccine until phase 1B in Pennsylvania. It's still only like healthcare providers and extremely high-risk individuals. So, like, I'm not getting to a local game store to play a four-round tournament. It's the world we live in right now. TTS is a great investment for getting games in a socially distant safe manner that is 
absolutely something that I would tell anybody getting into this game right now. Like, yes, buy the models. Yes, build, paint. They're kaiju. They're awesome. They're fun, dynamic models. Tabletop Simulator has, I'm not going to say single-handedly kept this game afloat, because a lot of us care a lot, but it would be a lot harder to care if we weren't getting games in on the regular. I mean, the community, there there would be no community, right? There'd be, there would be no shared experience. I almost think Tabletop Simulator is a must in modern wargaming. Um, I mean, anecdote, right? Not to go off the topic of Mompok, but I tried playing, I tried getting into uh, Kings of War Armada, and I guess at the time they didn't have a Discord, and I couldn't get a game in, can't get a game in local. So, I mean, there was no, like, I built all my ships, I did everything I wanted to do, and now I wanted to enjoy this hobby that I invested some time into, and there was no venue to do that, Oof. right? So I think you kind of, and now, you know, it's on the eBay sell list. Um, so I, I mean, I, I tried to buy into Armada when they announced it. It still hasn't shown up at my FLGS from my pre-order, so like that—that's an entirely different can of worms on my end. <laughs> so that that store credit has been reallocated oh. to new Monpox starters because new Monpox starters. Oh, hundred percent. Hey, you know what? I'm going to take that segue into things that are actually on this Google Doc. Yes, let's do that. I'm looking at the Google Doc too. So, uh, did uh, the starter boxes? The starter boxes are absolutely worth the cost. If you don't want to play a starter box monster, that's fine. But the starter boxes are straight value. You get dice, you get maps, you get tiles. All three of which are things that you are going to need for the game. Along with a monster you can't currently get anywhere else. And a pack of units that goes along with them. The monsters and units by themselves probably add up to close to the cost and everything else, i.e. the dice maps and tiles, the reason to buy the starter over the monsters and units separates, is basically a free add-on at that point. I the have st- both current starters, and I don't know if it's a good thing or not, but I have yet to play a game with either monster in the starter. And I'm 100% happy with that purchase still. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm... I'm a guard fanboy. I've played mm. several games with Defender X. I played Defender X into, uh, I think, TTS event number five, the one where we came back from the hiatus here, or maybe it was even yeah. six. He didn't feel great in the current meta, but that's, you know, a starter box monster and the weaker of the two at that. Even then, I own a dozen G tanks because I've got two guard starters because I bought a secondhand lot. Yeah, and you get those apartment buildings, um, right? Which segues into our next point. Yep. I mean, I was I was afraid. I was legitimately afraid of what buildings could potentially do to my buying habits if I got into Mompok before I understood it. Um, so I wish, as a new player coming in, um, I had somebody in my local game store tell me, "Hey, don't don't worry about this. Like the shelf of models." All these buildings, you have to have 12, and you start doing the math. And you're like, that's pretty, that's pretty expensive. Um, it's, it's not, right? Like, it's uh, lean on those apartments that you get in the starter pack, and you kind of can develop the list from here. And I think it's a good thing that junk build is a viable build right now. Like, you don't need to have all these crazy buildings. 
Yeah, so that leans into at least two of the bullet points we have in this. Mm-hmm. The first one here being that the apartment buildings that come with the starter box, where you get six of them in one starter, are viable junk or filler buildings to just fill the middle of the board or take up your opponent's backline with. And the fire tiles, too, you get with them, too. Yes, the, the like the, the fire, fire tiles yeah. are, are the one thing, aside from the paper maps, that you can't get outside of a starter. But those six cardboard apartments, like even once I got to the point where I had enough buildings to not need to bring paper apartments, I still had a couple slotted into my list because sometimes you just want something to throw into a spot that's just going to be where a monster lands in the middle of the board or onto one of the double building secure foundations in your opponent's backline to deny them value. So, like, don't stress about getting past that those apartment buildings. Like, yeah, fill out your list because I'm rolling into another bullet point here. The buildings may feel like they're a lot of cost for what you're getting. Just a, a I'm gonna pay twenty bucks for a downtown high rise. Like, okay, this is a a building doesn't do anything interesting. I played. Recently, with my friend Herb, who was on uh, an episode a while back after his first demo game, and I played a, a one monster game bringing in six or yeah, yeah, six different buildings in addition to a bunch of apartments, and just adding like each of two copies of each of six other buildings changed the game drastically. The, the buildings might feel expensive, they might feel like you're not getting your money's worth, but they are one of the better investments you can make into this game. They add aesthetic to the board, they enable more interesting turns, and will feature in all your future lists, even if you switch monsters or factions. Yeah, nothing um, sends up the beacon for other people to, if you get a real-life game, to see what's going on than having a city full of like buildings. Uh, I actually played in a local game store teaching somebody the game maybe two weeks ago. And we tried to be in the corner so we're out of the way, right? So we're not, everyone can be social distance while they shop. And I mean, it was like Moth to the Flame. And everyone said, oh yeah, we just saw this map with all these buildings. And then we saw that there's monsters on there. It it definitely gives you the the visual that you want when you come into this game, right? Absolutely. Big scary monsters just body slamming people in the buildings. What's not the, the way my buddy Jeff phrases it is that Monster Apocalypse has amazing table presence. Yes. Like, from a distance, you just like, ooh, that looks interesting. Now, he got shafted when he was running demos because he was at the second table from the door. Mm. And the first table from the door had a guy set up with a fully built, like, 4x4 Age of Sigmar skirmish board. And, um, well, frankly, like... Monster Apocalypse buildings look great, but when somebody's gone whole hog on Age of Sigmar terrain and like ha- has like a full on like swampy forest runes going on, and you have to get past that to see the little uh, cartoony apartment buildings getting smashed by d- by monsters, it um, took some of the wind out of our sails. I-, I could see that, but I would also think I would also argue. That um, to create that aesthetic in Mompok between the neoprene maps that are available and the buildings, 
that are fairly easy to paint, especially if you use a, a multicolored spray primer, right, for some of the flat buildings. Otherwise, I, everything I painted is with contrast paint, which is easy. It's more achievable to have that immersion into the game in Mompok than it is learning how to kit bash a board for any other game. So that that's also something uh, is like a good intermediate thing to look forward to if you're a new player and you like to build those tables. I mean, Mompok's your game. Yeah, Mompok is great if you want to have something that looks great without a heck of a lot of investment. So speaking of buildings, something that a lot of new folks miss is that buildings are neutral. The opposing agenda just doesn't get to use the bonus effect of any given faction discount, but any player can take any building in their list. The buildings get thrown across the board. Any player can secure any type of building. It's a really common answer to a lot of Facebook questions, so I'm saying it out loud in my podcast in the hopes that maybe someday I won't have to type the answer on Facebook. Because I love... All of the new Facebook people. It's amazing that we keep keep getting people on such a regular basis, but there's a lot of questions we answer a lot. And that's I feel one like of them. I feel like it gives credence to my belief that you have three separate games going on at the same time. And that would if you I think think about the building game as its own game, that will help you enforce that these are shared things between the two of us. It only makes you yours if you're securing it uncontested. All right, sorry, I've got one last building one here because I'm not allowed to get away from buildings. (laughs) Buildings placed into the middle of the map are unlikely to be secured in the majority of your games. The middle of the map is largely where a lot of the damaging gameplay is going to happen in the early to mid game. So if you put your building in the middle of the map, do not be expecting to secure it anytime soon. This is linked to the apartments are viable midfield buildings because they just sit there and deal an extra point of damage. It's linked to the buildings are neutral because anybody can throw their buildings into the middle of the map. Everybody's required to throw their buildings in the middle of the map first anyway. And it's linked to units securing buildings can be overrated. Yeah. So you're not gonna you're not gonna get to that midfield. Corner case scenarios, I guess you'll get to the midfield, but yeah, don't don't prioritize securing midfield buildings. No. It's, it'll only end in tears when the monster stops next to it and it's not secured anyway. I mean, and even then, with 25, 25 plus games on Obliteration Boulevard, it still hurts my soul that there's a PowerPoint on the left side of, the active, of your map that if you secure, you're in fling range for the double secure. So you have to choose... like. Leaving something that close to my backline open hurts my soul, but I know it's the wrong thing to do, and it and, still hurts. And I have a solution, and I know you're a protector player, so <laughs> you might be able to get on board with this one. Okay. Exo armors. Oh, I knew you were going to say it. You knew I was going to say it. I knew, I knew you were going there. I, ha- I have some. I have some. We'll see if I can squeeze them into my, my next list. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about going into a three-mod tourney here. So I'm just trying to figure out how many of my mods need to have exo-armors in them. And the answer might be at least one per module plus two or three in my core. I mean, they are are fun to paint. I'll I'll give you that. Oh, they're they're great little... 
little chunky space marine looking dudes. I love them. I may or may not have painted mine like a different space marine. I cannot confirm or deny that. Mine kind of look like uh, like I I went with the steel and red thing, mm. but my um my elites get a gold accent to go with oh. the red and steel. So my elites kind of look like a Hulkbuster Iron Man. I dig it. Oh, I like that. Oh, now um, elites. This is not on our Google Doc, but I think this is related for new players, and it's a question that I see all the time. Uh, basing. I base my miniatures. I put down rubble. Uh, I try to make it look pretty. I don't use the. I I just stopped using the acrylic bases that Firewater Press gives you, and I got a guy who makes me magnetic bases. Nice. Um, it is it it is truly player choice. I've definitely played a lot more TTS games and real life games, but it has never impeded the game that I couldn't see through that. So if you're if you want a base, that's not something should hold you back because Mompok, you know, as a, as the company shows you, you know, have clear bases. There's no rule for that, right? Yeah, the the clear bases are aesthetically a thing because it it eliminates the base from view at first glance where you just see the models standing in the city but otherwise it's like yeah base it don't base it paint your bases don't paint your bases nobody's really gonna give you anything for it you might get a oh oh man i missed that was a powerpoint once per tournament like i it happened to me against mimi once because her crawlers have a lot of uh like crystally stuff on their base and i just was new to the game, so I missed that it was sitting on a PowerPoint. In the future, I know that anytime there's a crawler on the table, it's probably on a PowerPoint, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like nobody will actually care one way or the other whether or not you paint your bases, put basing scenic elements, because yeah. as, lo- as long as you are have shown up to play the game, you're fine. Especially for people coming in to, from either either other privateer press games or potentially like from X-Wing and Armada and stuff like that. You know, there's um, maybe, I guess, a resistance for conversions or kit bashing or it might be... It's not in the rule set, right? It's a no tournament rule set. It's No one's ever going to say you can't paint your bases. Um, so that's something that it took me a minute to... I, I, I battled with that, right? I painted a couple of monsters before I started doing the bases. Um, but it's totally <laughs> fine. It's funny because I have my my X wing bases painted at the moment. <laughs> nice. I mean, nice. it's just it's just basically a straight layer of spray primer and literally like I put four red stripes onto my steel prime of my bases because okay. I've been doing steel and red for longer than Monpoc apparently, but it's it's a thing. Hey, I'm convinced everybody has a palette. If you get old enough minis, you can look back and you can see there's a palette you always lean on when you don't know what to do. I have that two you like. palettes. Yeah. My, my more modern palette is what I'm using on my protectors. My, hey, let's step back two or three years is where my destroyers are because oh. Tyranids and Planet Eaters share the fluff. Mm-hmm. So you're like, heck yeah, I'm going to paint Gorgadra up like my Tyranid Prime. Let's go. Hell yeah. All right. So as a thing that I mentioned here, elites, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, opinions, let's say (laughs) a lot of opinions about elites, the way that this is currently typed out here on the Google doc, because I had at least three other people 
helping contribute to this things we would have liked to know Google document is that elites aren't particularly competitive. The extra blues they grant rarely outweigh the cost of spawning them, except the odd chomper or maybe assault assault apes or strike fighters on, on specific unit generals. Don't take the elite just because you've also got a bunch of the grunts. If it's what you own, elites are okay. They're not amazing. They'll they'll fill in spots in your list. Chances are that in the early stages of the game, you're not going to have all of your grunts on the table at once anyway. In the mid to later game, you might even be able to use the elites for a cheeky play to push forward and put a point of damage onto an opponent's monster or take out a unit that was heavily entrenched that they didn't expect you to get out of there. The, the elites are fine, especially if you don't physically own more than that yet. But one of the more higher end, oh man, I'm spending a lot of money on this and I've kind of figured out what I'm trying to play already, is that if you don't paint your elites up differently from your grunts, and instead of putting your elite fourth model onto that star base, you put it on that other base from your specialist unit, Oh, look, I now have four steel shell crab grunts. There's no rule saying that the four models in that pack must be three grunts and an elite. In a lot of cases, you'll get better bang for your buck making that elite a grunt. I could run down a list of which models I feel are worth occasionally having an elite, but personally, it's like the strike fighter and the assault ape because I'm a protectors player and I'm not going to um, remember all the models that exist in destroyers. I would even say you could probably get away with um, painting them all the same. And then if you do decide that you want to have an elite, then adding a colorful shoulder pad or unit insignia or painting a star on the base or doing something to then go from there. If you don't, if you know you're if you're crippled by indecision like I was of what to do with my assault ape, I just painted him normal, and then I realized you know this guy's going to be an elite, so I'm going to upgrade his shoulder pads actually right now. So that's always an option too. Nice. I tend to invert my color scheme for my elites, mm. so it doesn't work as cleanly. Yeah, uh, I I, yeah. In, I invert the color scheme and then I add gold highlights. Has been my go-to. So I have like. Three elite G tanks. I also own a dozen G tanks, so I've got plenty of G tank grunts. Like I'm not, I'm not hurting for G tank grunts. I haven't had a G tank in my list since um TTS event number three, which feels maybe G- TTS event four is the first one where I had no G tanks because I replaced them with crabs because the crabs were doing the same thing but also on water. I wasn't even a thought at TTS four. I wasn't even wasn't even in my pocket. Had, hadn't even heard of this game yet. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've actually heard. I've been like in the corners watching this game, and I just decided one day I was going to buy and paint the models, and maybe I'll never play in my life. And then I stumbled on the Discord, and here I am. So another kudos to Discord for this community. All right. So talking about unit packs, generally speaking. Unless you have a very specific list build in mind, you don't really need more than one copy of any given unit blister. 
This is actually the top point on this Google Doc. One will be fine. There will be scenarios where like, oh man, I would really like a fifth exo armor. Oh wait, no, sorry. The rest of you aren't me. The rest of you aren't me. You don't actually need five exo armors unless you're running a specific unit general. Like Sky Sentinel would like a second rocket chopper and maybe a, a fifth and sixth plane. Maybe. Beyond that, kind of skew list building. One copy of any blister should be sufficient until you're at the point of trying to pick up multiple copies of certain specialists. And hopefully, later here in the year, Privateer Press will bring back the singles shop and you'll be able to acquire those without buying all the excess chaff models. I think that's a good philosophy, too, uh, coming into this game new. Like, uh, don't get married to a build until you have played the game. Like, definitely have your monster, maybe have a couple units you want to see in there, but kind of just go with the flow until you understand the different levels of this game. Um, And that could potentially avoid some, like, uh, superfluous uh, purchases early on in your mom lifetime. But eventually you'll get the disease and you'll become a collector and you'll try to get every single thing. I mean, it just happens. You just got to own it, right? <laughs> Basically. Like, I, I don't know how I own a Destroyer's list. I own, like, three or four Destroyer's monsters. I own four Destroyer's monsters at this point. I don't have enough units to field a two-monster list, but I own four Destroyer's monsters it's to help grow the game in your local community by having those to for someone to play with whenever we're allowed to have local communities again. That's what I tell myself. Yo, 100%. <laughs> I, I did an episode about, hey, this is my best friend. I'm making him play Monster Apocalypse, and I'm buying stuff so that he doesn't have to actually spend money on the game. Yep. Introduce yourself to the people, Herb. <laughs> All right, so ro- rolling in from the, you know, coming into the game, like, I really like this faction's aesthetic is that mono-faction builds are a trap. The game is balanced around mixing factions within an agenda, and a single faction tends to skew away from a balanced list. Add to that that a whole bunch of the factions in the game are not what you'd call complete, being uh, three monsters, three unit packs, and a building. If you're trying to build within a single faction, you are massively handicapping yourself from what the game is intended to be. Now, I know for a fact there are players who find that a challenge, who find that a, oh, so that's hard mode, huh? Like, suspect him on the Discord. That is how he plays the game. He picks two monsters and builds his unit list using only units from those two factions, plus maybe a repair truck, because the one time he had Magna Titanica and a single repair truck in his list with the scavenger vans and C-type shinobis. And if that's where you find the fun in the game, more power to you. Absolutely. But if you're trying to get into this game and have a more balanced play experience, don't come into it looking to hamstring yourself unnecessarily. It, it embrace that too, right? Like I feel like every other game I've played, I've begged for allies to be more prevalent or you get sick of painting the same unit 
you know, 30 times just to put one unit on the board. That doesn't, that doesn't exist. Not only does that not exist in Mompoc because of the way the game is structured, um, but also the way the game is structured with, you know, one minute you're painting a dinosaur, the next minute you're painting a tank. Like, it's awesome. Like, if you like to paint multiple things or expand what your collection is, this is, it's a great opportunity. And I feel like anyone who's been gaming for a minute always wanted this. And it took me a minute to embrace it because at first I just wanted to buy all the monkeys and make all the monkeys work. Hmm. They don't all work together. I'm pretty sure out of all of the monkeys, so like I'm talking, there's three packs. If we include elites with the grunts, there's six different monkey units, and four of them see play, mm-hmm. and three of them are specialists. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. That's rough. But also, my my the second, third, fourth. And fifth, there, there's math game I ever played was on a is a TTS, you know, tournament game. And what was that? TTS six, I guess. Yeah, TTS six. And it was I maxed out monkeys. I went Hondo Condo, maxed out monkeys, and just wanted to just jump right in. Still had a good time, and you know, won a couple of games. Like I didn't completely get Rick rolled, but um, it. Like you said, it's there to happen, but it'll, it'll be more enjoyable when you're learning the game to have all the options to you. And then so you know what you're missing out on when you're making that decision um, to go monofaction. Right. So that actually does roll up into this next idea here. Everything in this game, with a few very minor exceptions, is playable. Everything's playable, but some of it falls off in efficiency when you're at highly competitive levels. Because when you reach the point where you're trying to compete with the best players on the continent, and I know in his last couple episodes, Vicarious over on Vicarious Competition had said, you know, even with a less efficient list, a better player can still win. Well, if you're not quite that better player yet, because you're still learning the game, you might need a slightly more efficient list to square up with these players who've got everything on lock. And some things just don't have that efficiency. One of the reasons that the Chomper is both beloved and maligned is because it is a highly efficient unit. Five speed, three defense, two boost, and a solid ability tied to that boost means that it has a level of efficiency that few other unit models reach at all, even under unit leaders. And then you can put that under a unit leader to get it high mobility as well. The Chomper is a little bonkers to the point that everything will be compared to the Chomper. Anytime a Brawl unit is released, even if it's not in the faction. It's a valid point, so I guess um, I would, um, I guess to tie it back in, I think the way to think about this is if you're a new player, and I don't know if this exists already, but I would ask advice for a list, right? And be open to that advice and treat it like if you're a card game player, like a theme deck, right? Let the game teach you what it's trying to do. Each unit wants to do something. And if you let it over a couple of times of playing it, 
it will teach you something about the game that you would not have known without playing that unit. Uh, so the more different things you can kind of get your hands on and wrap your mind around, uh, and you can kind of start seeing the guts of that unit. Um, that it, To me, it's almost like when you play a theme deck in a TCG. It's, it's teaching you something, and you're trying to figure out what it's teaching you. And then you're both learning the game and then be more proficient at your unit game. That's fair. Yeah, no, I I played this last TTS event with uh, a relock style unit list hmm. where I didn't bring excessive numbers of exo armors and I brought an appropriate number of units tooled to my monsters and like I definitely learned some things. I didn't enjoy it, but I learned things. Yeah, and especially um, if that's not something you're leaning to and you feel yourself getting frustrated. Um, like it might just be frustration because you didn't know what you were signing up for by missing out by going mono faction or leaning heavy into a model. Um, so it just might help, right? Uh, at least you know what you're missing, right? After playing that a little bit better, maybe than you did before. It's true. Actually, having played the here's the more efficient version of what I would, could be running, like if I was trying to cut in, I, I figured out like. Okay, like I get where I was going with this. I know what changes I would make if I was to play that same pair again. Because uh, on some level, having fun is a competitive advantage. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can identify at least two models in that list that would just swap out real quick, and it would actually just make me happier. Yeah, and there's very, very few. You could probably find the models that you absolutely wouldn't put in over the models that you would. And I think there's a good variety of things, except for the corner case scenarios, like the chomper or the crawler or the assault ape, right? Um, that you can find something that does something similar. Um, like I have stalkers on my list. Don't necessarily like them, don't have the models, don't want to buy them. going to trade them <laughs> out for Sunfighters because it's a flyer, it moves up to six, right? That was move seven. So it's filling the same battlefield role for me. And I'm happier with the models. On that specific example, I've been running two Sunfighters in my list since the since I got Sunfighters. So Christmas of 2019, mm. right beginning of 2020, I started running a pair of Sunfighters in my list. Like the the only physical tournament I took Nova to, I had a pair of Sunfighters in my list. In this last event, I swapped out one of the Sunfighters for a Stalker just to see if it would change anything. In almost every case, I would have rather had the Sunfighter. But if you're playing Rastaban, absolutely take the Stalkers. Yeah. Like, Stalkers under Rastaban? Choice. One white, two boost, uh, Power Gorge attack? Heck yeah. It's almost like there's a reason Chompers are good. Hmm. So, talking about things that are efficient, one of the things I would have liked to know first coming into this game, personally, Figure out some dice math. If before you actually get into some of these games, you play around with the dice calculator on Monster Room and learn some of the more common probabilities you'll encounter, you'll have a better time playing because you'll have an idea of, oh, hey, this is more likely to hit, this isn't likely to hit, rather than like, yeah, that kind of looks like enough dice. Like... It's the kind of skill that's just entirely knowledge-based. You just have to learn what you're doing. And there's not enough dice rolls 
in this game, especially on a monster turn, to where it doesn't justify taking the extra second and opening that monster room dot app, even if you have your algorithms of what you need to hit an ace, just a double check of what one, what one white gives you, right? Like that's Absolutely. better time spent than missing that attack and then feeling terrible about it because you were being stingy on your white dice. Yeah, absolutely. Because especially if you're playing just casual practice games, if you and your opponent are both sitting there with a dice calculator, nobody can feel salty about it. If you're playing a tournament game, it's bad form. Don't don't be pulling out dice calculators in the middle of tournament games um, because part of the idea of the competition of a tournament is that it's uh, it's a gear check. Do you have the knowledge required to get this correct? And if you're literally sitting there with a dice calculator like, oh no, sorry, no, I need to add another white to this to get it back up over 60%, uh, th- th- that I could, I would be upset about that as an opponent against that. Not to disagree with you on your own podcast, but... Oh no, um, please do. Uh, I, I I understand, and I grapple with that too, but I almost feel like since if you're playing in a tournament, you're going to be timed anyways. So the amount of time you are potentially spending in the think tank and then looking at your, like, uh, it's a resource you're trading too, right, is time. So I I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that in physical tournaments. The flip side of that is that, like, I've learned a couple mnemonics for doing dice math quickly mm. or reasonably quickly. Like, uh, one of the ones I learned early that targets, like, 66% is count white dice as three, blue dice as four, and red dice as five, right? Mm-hmm. So ba- basically the number of sides that have any strikes at all is the number of points each of those dice is worth. And the number you're trying to add up to to have reasonable odds of hitting is defense times five. Hmm. So if you're trying to hit defense one, you'll want at least one white and one blue. Because that gets you to a total of seven on your math, which is more than five. If you're trying Hmm. to hit defense two uh, at two white and one blue, you're over the two-thirds mark. It's... I've got a dice calculator pulled up, and it's 68%, which at that 10 points worth of dice, you're hitting 68%. I feel like I've never hit anything lower than 70%. (laughs) Now, (laughs) talking about like a a real standard type unit attack, two white, two blue into a defense of three. So if I put that into this mnemonic I just put out, we're looking at a 14 points versus looking for a 15 to hit the defense. 61.9%. It's less than two-thirds. It's not good odds. It's not clear it's not clearing the hurdle. If you I've got- also heard three, two, one. Uh three white dice equals one strike, two blue dice equals one strike, one red dice equals one strike. If you want to do it quickly. Yeah. I don't like have it- I haven't done the math on that, but there's a bunch of mnemonics. Uh, think things that I have out of the top of my head: two, 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 mm. two white dice, two blue dice, two red dice uh, is like eighty-one percent against a defense four, because that's your average unit defense in cover 
versus Nova's Alpha Blast. Mm. Things I have memorized that nobody else has reason to. Um, truth, truth. Four, but, four, four for for yep. monster attacks. I've used that one a lot too. Yeah. It is eighty five point nine versus a defense eight. Seventy three versus a defense nine. You add an extra red die to that four four five. You're back into your eighty five percent. And the role that Vicarious described as your bread and butter power attack. Two white, four blue, six red is a 92% against a defense eight and an 83% against a defense nine. It's almost um, better to have now now to argue for your uh, no dice calculator. It's almost like a danger of getting wrapped around the numbers because no one ever thinks about the percentages when you roll in a D6 game, or at least I don't, right? And you need anything but a one. Some people absolutely roll that one, right? Like, yep. You're always going to take that shot. If you're going to hit anything but a one and you roll a one, you're always going to hit it. And I know for a fact I've missed at least six 90 plus hits in the last month in this game. And I think to myself, like, oh, that's terrible. I'm like, well, I mean, like I needed a three up and I rolled a one or a two. Like it's not that bad of it. Like it's not that bad of it. It feels it feels more in this game because there's uh, less dice rolls than in other games where you're just kind of throwing the d6 around all day long. Yeah, when you, your number of dice is very easily quantified and also the resource you're spending yes. compared to well, here's a unit of space marines. Here's the twenty d6 they generate. Okay, that was one of my things for this turn. Yeah, and that's a that's a hard thing too coming into the game new is you never no other game really challenges you to think how many dice you want to throw at a problem, right? Because like um, when I was doing a couple of learning games, people would look at the two or the white symbol and be like, "Oh, I get two white dice." It's like, no, you can put up the two, but you're guaranteed only you only have to put one, but you still got to use that. It's not like the boost dice where it's a free resource. Um, and that's that's definitely a level of this game that I really appreciate is that those white dice coming in month one completely underappreciated it. Always thought, why would I ever throw more than white dice, one white dice into an attack? It's a garbage dice. And then the more I play, the more I realize how one silly white dice can completely swing a hit or a miss. Yeah, I mean, just looking at again pulling this dice calculator back up, the two, four, six, the the. What Vicarious called your bread and butter for a two-power attack turn, where you slam a monster into a building, get two power back, so now you have six power again, going from full. Two, four, six versus a defense nine, which is a substantial number of models in the game, is only 83%. Three, four, six, we're up to 88%. That at one yeah. extra white die is a 5% chance. Uh, of clearing your hurdle. Yeah, I don't know how helpful that actually is to brand new players to the game, but it's definitely one of those things that I didn't grok early on. Yeah. I, I like to think, um, I don't know if it's right, um, but if I ever have doubts, uh, I look at my dice well. I'm like, oh, let me throw one more white in there just just in case, because it, it, it does help. It does help a lot. Yeah. Don't discount them, I guess, if you're, if you're new coming in. Because you always want to gravitate towards the power dice, right? The stuff you earn, or the boost dice. But those action die are just as important. All right, so I've got 
two more bullet points on this. If you are just coming to this game, two monster games are where the game is designed to be played. Look for that sweet second monster sooner rather than later. Because in a one monster game, yeah, you get to learn how to do the basics of the game. Your units move out, they secure some buildings, you power up for some dice, you walk over, I throw you into a building, you throw me into a building, I punch you, you shoot me, goes back and forth, and then somebody loses. Two monster games are substantially more dynamic. Once you get that extra variable of a second monster on each side, the tango really begins. Because instead of it, uh, we walk up to the middle and punch each other in the snout. Now it's like I'm jockeying for position and my partner's over here waiting for me to send you over there and then alley-oop. Yeah, yeah. Buildings might be the biggest shift in uh, how the games unfold in general. But adding that second monster is just the true secret sauce of the game. To the point where I can't adequately verbalize how much of a difference it makes. Because I've played like four one-monster games and dozens of two-monster games. And the one-monster games are very much, I walk up, I punch you, you throw me, I step over here, I shoot you. And just kind of bing, bong, bing, bong, bing. Kind of like pong. Whereas by the time you're playing a full-scale two-monster game with all your units and all the different buildings, we've, we've evolved from Pong to, well, Monster Apocalypse. It, it, it's, it, it's a full-scale strategy game, turn-based. That I was going to say Final Fantasy Tactics, but like, why beat around the bush here? No, yeah, absolutely. And to kind of, like I guess, bring this thing home with that, Back to the like the first thing I kind of said when I jumped the gun is yeah it doesn't really matter right you can find the monster you want to play and then immediately pair that monster um, with a good monster if that's not like an A or S tier monster quote unquote right hundred percent like I f- I had a lot of success honestly taking Nova ESR my number one and pairing her with Kraken Octus because Kraken was the strongest option available to me at the time and just using him as as the big scary beat stick while nova ran around doing her nova thing a lot of success doing that i almost won a tabletop simulator tournament event like i I paired into gearbox at the top table at the end of that and like to to the point where the the peanut gallery was able to identify the two mistakes i made that led to me losing and if you're new and you've only played a demo or you only played a one monster game uh, and you're like out there and you're listening to this right now because you're trying to consume all the information you can before you make a purchase. If you were remotely interested into the experience you had in that one monster game, it's absolutely worth the effort to try to play a two monster game and continue down the Mompok path a little bit. Because if you like what you saw in one monster, I mean, two monster is just going to continue to hook, line, and sinker you and bring you into the community. Absolutely. So the final point I've got here that I would like to put out to the community large, it is completely fine to not want to play this game at a competitive level. 
Sometimes you just want to toss monsters around a city without worrying about the efficiency of your list. That is completely fine, completely valid. Please don't let anything I have to say, Vicarious, Mr. Class, Power Gorge, anything anyone has to say about playing at a competitive level, keep you from enjoying throwing monsters around a city and smashing some buildings with your giant monster models. This game is a lot of fun at its base layer and does not need to be a highly competitive experience to be enjoyable. I know there's a lot of times where the competitive side gets very up in arms where they're like, yeah, yeah, competitive. We're competing. We need to know what's the best. Hey, this isn't as efficient as it could be. We want this to be better. I've been part of that myself. I'm aware. I I would try to apologize on behalf of all the rest of the community, but like, let's be honest, people gonna people. Well, it's the competitive nature, right? If you're competitive about it, it's hard not to to fall into that post-efficiency, let's go. So, like, sometimes it takes stepping back and playing a game of, like, Megaton Mashup, Mm -hmm. or, hey, let's pull out some of these models I haven't played with just to toss around on the kitchen table, to remember that even when we're not competing at top levels, the game is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. If you... Play this game exclusively on your kitchen table. Never go to an event, but are still somehow consuming the Monster Apocalypse podcast content that we put out. More power to you. Thank you a lot for just joining in on all of this. Because as much as I want to get out there and play high-end games, I just want to get people having fun. Like, this game is great at a competitive level. Fantastic. But it's still fun, too. I've played games at a competitive level that weren't fun anymore. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. 100%. Like, like I started playing this game because it was fun, but then... Yeah, I had no intention of trying to do anything but throw monsters in other buildings when I first started playing. And every, every all the other layers of the game is what kind of dragged me in. So it's it, and it's pretty cool because you know you don't you could potentially with one or two with one monster change same units you can go from a hyper competitive hyper uh, tooled out list to a list you can kind of play a wonky game with you know just have fun with it. it it's not you don't necessarily need you know two different armies right yeah yeah the the fact that the buildings are neutral and can be slotted into any uh any army list means that just changing out a monster or two or three units can radically alter the character of your list, even without changing the buildings. You could use the same set of a dozen buildings for every single list you run for the entirety of this game. If that's where you feel like being not to make being non-competitive competitive, but it would be interesting to do. Uh, you could probably be even do just junk builds only, apartment buildings only, and that would be a f- that's still a fun game. And the would, wackiest yeah. version of the tournament list, apartment buildings only, is bringing a tournament list with only six apartments. <laughs> you brought the minimum number of apart- of buildings. They are all 
basically blank, minimal defense models, and you just kind of fill the the midfield with like half the midfield buildings are apartments. Then you take the other ones and you throw them in your opponent's back line, and you just get to see what things your opponent hands you. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely different ways you can um, minorly tweak this game and make it make make it different, make it a different experience every time. Yeah, that's just it. There's so many different ways to experience this game too. Like, I don't know if anybody here has actually tried the Mega Ten mashup format. I highly recommend trying it. I've got a whole episode about it, like three or four episodes back at this point. Um, highly enjoyable, highly different way to experience the game. A lot of fun without trying to be hyper competitive. Yeah, I've played that a couple times with my four-year-old. And uh, we just kind of drive the two monsters together and let the opposing monster play against us with the cards. And it's just, I, 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 there's no other game I could do that, right? When I was playing Mark II War Machine competitively, quote-unquote, that, that would never happen. You know what I mean? Like, there's, a, there's a truly unique thing about this game. Same model, yeah. same purchases. And you're still playing with the same unit, so you're still... If if you're always someone who has to learn something, right? You're still learning something about the game, right? You're still internalizing the unit data or the monster information, right? So you're playing a different game without ever playing a different game. That's, yeah, it's quite cool. All right, I feel like as much as we meandered all over the place, this has been a pretty good conversation. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing me on. I mean, I appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, yeah, this was fun. All right, so uh, in parting, Dan, do you uh, have a blog and YouTube channel? Yep, uh, both are called Decisive Operations, decisiveoperations.blog, and then just a YouTube channel, Decisive Operations. Hopefully some real-life Mompok as the world goes back to normal. But right, in the, right now it's mostly just TTS Mompok and uh, TTS Warmaster, the two games I play right now. All right. You were the one running the Condo crushes leukemia. Yeah, that was that was really cool. We raised like three hundred and fifty dollars for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society uh, during the holidays for a holiday event, and then actually um, anyone who donated, I put in a random prize draw, and it was Genghis John. I uh, got a purple and white condo that I painted in appreciation for donating to the cause. So that nice. that was really cool. This community, you know, people you never met in real life, just coming together for 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 a good cause. It was cool. Yeah, I, I think I ended up donating to uh, the Trevor Project during giving mm-hmm. it to myself. Mm-hmm. But man, that was a fun time. I, I hear we're expecting to do another kind of give a get an event in the summer, and definitely another one near holiday time here in 2021. Yeah, right. Yet, yet another way to play the game, right? With... Um just changing the maps out and then kind of making it wonky. Yeah, it was wonky as heck. That was, that was pretty cool. Uh, I um had a very good time having a bad time. I, yeah. I, I'm on the train for B and C tier monsters only for the next, uh, for the next wonky tournament. I think that I mean, would be fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I played Nova Titanica in that event. Let's go. I, I've got, a, I've got <laughs> reps now. You got the most reps out of anybody, right? <laughs> I think if, if we're looking for B and C tier reps, I think Suspectum has a lot more 
Magna Titanica time than I have Nova Titanica. So Ooh. he's the one to watch out for. Yep. Place your bets early. All right. So let's do some sign outs here. This has been Midnight Mon Pod, the Monster Apocalypse Podcast After Hours. I've been Garrett. I'm Dan. Thanks for stopping by, everybody. Catch you around. Night Monpod is part of the Line of Sight Network, LOSWarmachine.com slash Midnight Dash Monpod.